Yeah, so it's great to be here this morning uh, with you. Um, you might know we've been well, sort of partway through a, um, a series on grace at the minute, being a grace-filled community. Um, the first week we did it, Jen talked about sort of choosing to see the masterpiece in people. And I guess we all have our stuff, our mud in our lives. Uh, and grace-filled people make grace-filled communities. And Alice spoke the week after, did a great job, I must say. Um, looking at clothing ourselves, I think it was Colossians 3, looking at clothing ourselves in humility, forgiving one another and putting on love. And then James spoke last week on the practice of hospitality. So that was, we're meant to be kind of in and out of one another's homes, being generous and things like hospitality requires us being intentional uh, and giving our best for each other. So the series continues today and I'm going to be talking about sort of being a grace-filled community that embraces the last, the least, and the lost in our city. So I've got a question for you to start. Can you remember an occasion when someone kind of showed you undeserved grace? Maybe selflessly picked you up when you didn't deserve it? Little question there. Well, I've got an example. <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago, I, um, I sort of entered the Cardiff Half Marathon. And I entered it around Christmas time. And when I was signing up online, I could choose which pen I went in. There's like the back pen, the one before it. And I thought, right, now I'm going to go in the front pen, the elite athlete's pen. I don't know why. Because I thought it might improve my time, you know. So I signed up myself for that. And I'll be quite honest, I didn't do an awful lot of training. Did a little bit, you know. Probably ran for about an hour max um, in distance, you know, and time. Uh, and it got to the day a couple of weeks ago, and I went down, had, a little, I had quite a small breakfast, just a couple of bananas. I don't like running, having eaten too much, so it gives me a bit of a stitch. So I got there, ready to go, off with all the elites, as you do. And um, I got going, and the first kind of few miles, I thought, yes, I'm feeling all right. Pace is not too bad. I feel like I'm going quicker maybe than I normally do. Got to quarter way. Yeah, doing all right here. Doing well. I'm quite, I'm quite pleased with myself. Got to halfway. A couple of jelly babies were taken out and gave me a bit of energy. And I thought, yes, can I keep going? I'm feeling, starting to feel a little bit tired now. Then got up to kind of Roth Lake, where you kind of go up it and back again, if those of you who've done, done the uh, half. And I started feeling really tired. I was like, oh, my goodness, this is really hard work. But there's just two or three miles left to go. So I kept going, kept going. Come on, you can do this. Two miles left. I've got this in the bag. I'm feeling, feeling a bit rough now. And I got to the last mile, and I thought, oh, I feel awful, to be truthful. And then um, I got to the last corner of the race, 200 yards to go, and I could see the finish line just over there. And my legs just gave way. They just gave up. They gave up. I went down to my knees on the, on the track, <laughs> the course. I'd run out of fuel. I'd completely gone. Um, I don't know what happened. I think it's what they call hitting the wall, you know? And so I went down, I just literally couldn't move my legs. And these two guys, these two runners who were kind of running beside me, they were just about to finish the race, probably about to get, you know, record time themselves. Um, I think I was about 1.38 at that time, which I was pleased with. But um, so these guys just stopped and they came one either side of me, lifted me up, said, come on, you can do this, you can do this. Sacrificed their kind of, their own race, started carrying me a few yards and I just realised... My legs weren't working at all. And then they thought, there's no point. He's a lost cause, this bloke. <laughs> He's gone. So they passed me over. They took me over to these stewards <laughs> at the side who kind of gave me some Lucasaid and they kind of just kind of jelly babies, that sort of stuff. So it took me 20 minutes to kind of hobble over the line and I made it in the end. So, but it was just about... Uh, thank you, thank you. 
But it was just these guys, like, they completely, they, I had, that was complete undeserved grace. They didn't need to stop for me. Like, it was, I say, it was my own fault. I didn't train enough. I didn't have enough to eat at the beginning of the race. It was my own fault, but they stopped. They helped me out, no questions asked, and I'll probably never even see them again, you know. So that was incredible. So as we've been learning, grace is such an important concept for us to learn about as Christians and understand. And Jesus, he was full of grace. He embodied grace. He oozed grace. And after people met Jesus, they probably said things like, wow, this man is full of grace. He's different. He's completely different. Um, and I've got a little um, quote from Judah Smith, who writes the, um, wrote the uh, Jesus Is book. And it says, grace is more than a principle, more than an idea, more than a doctrine or a dogma, more than a cover-up for sin. Grace is a person. Grace is Jesus. Grace is Jesus. And Jesus just loved hanging around the outcasts in society, didn't he? There are so many examples in the Bible where he hung out with the sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, um, I guess the people with diseases, people who were crippled, I guess people in society, um, who, people who have been completely rejected by society. So I want to look today at the story of Levi, the tax collector, and we're going to look at Mark 2, 13 to, 7, if you've got, 13 to 17, if you've got your Bibles with you. It should come up on the screen otherwise. And this is as good as any place in the Bible where I would say that we're given a clear picture of the unconditional grace of Jesus and his heart for the last, the least, and the lost. So, it says, it says here in 13, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners? So I was trying to think about what job Levi would have had in today's society. And I probably would have, <laughs> I did think at first, would he been in sales or something? I thought, let's not go there. You, a lot of you know why. Um, I would have said he'd probably be a regular traffic warden. You know, traffic warden. So it's all day long. It's your job to give people parking tickets, to fine them for, you know, leaving their cars in the wrong place, being verbally abused by motorists and pedestrians for basically, well, just doing your job, <laughs> you know. I'm sure most of us here have felt hard, by, hard done by by a traffic warden at some point in our lives. And if you are a traffic warden, you're here this morning, you're so welcome. <laughs> I just, just want to mention that, you know. Well, I remember about 10 years ago, still hurts, um, parking on my own street. And, um, well, firstly, I got a ticket and I had a permit in the car, first of all, you know, driver's permit to park on the road. Secondly, it was an area where there were no double yellow lines. So I couldn't really understand that. And then thirdly, the ticket was issued at 3.30 a.m. So obviously I've got over this. 
I've forgiven the uh, traffic warn at the time. But um, we've all had incidents like that, haven't we? So Levi, the tax collector, he painted a picture of what it was like to be the lowest of the low. He was Jewish and he worked for the foreign government, the Romans. And they were, I guess at the time, they were taking advantage of the Jews at that time. Basically, Levi would have been sort of known as being in the sort of local mafia. And he's getting rich off taxing his own people. He would have been seen as like a complete traitor to his fellow people and utterly despised by them as well. Plenty of people could remember when you could make the journey completely free of charge. Um, and now you had to pay, and that was where they had to pay at Levi's toll booth. And who got sort of abused, shouted at, grumbled at because of it? It was Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Can you imagine what it was like? I mean, being rejected constantly uh, and verbally abused by kind of everyone who passed by. I guess perhaps you could relate to that today. Constant rejection is just horrible, isn't it? It's awful. And one day, and one day Jesus, he came by. He did something strange. He did something completely unimaginable. He didn't shout. He didn't swear. He did something totally unexpected. He said to Levi the simple words, follow me. And that changed everything in Levi's life forever. So what speaks to us of Jesus' grace in this short encounter with Levi? What speaks to us of grace here? Well, firstly, I absolutely love it that Jesus saw the pearl hidden in the mud. Everyone else despised this man. They only saw the worst in him. They saw the dirt, the mud, the filth. But Jesus didn't. He saw this absolute treasure sparkling in the mud and he stopped. He stooped down and he pulled out this rough diamond which everyone else had walked past and missed. And I can only imagine that Levi was absolutely shocked and astonished. It was probably the first time in a long, long time that someone had treated him as a human being instead of a piece of rubbish. Levi did not deserve this calling in any way. But Jesus, he didn't judge him in any way. He spoke to him with complete respect and total dignity with the simple words, Levi, follow me. When looking at the lives of others around us, are we able to see past the mud, the filth, and see the treasure hidden in there? I'm so blessed, as Alice said, to be involved with one of our Restore Ministries, which is Open Door, which is every Friday, um, where we, um, we share the gospel with guys who are living on the streets or vulnerably housed. Um, we serve a bacon sandwich, have time to pray with them, and just share the gospel with them, really. And today I'll be sharing a couple of stories of people who've come through Open Door. Uh, and Jesus has, I guess, like, changed their lives. He's been, he's been in their lives, which is amazing. The first guy I want to look at is a guy called Malcolm, who's been coming along for a couple of years now. He's got pretty, pretty scruffy appearance. He wears the same coat all year round. If it's 30 degrees outside, he'll be wearing it. If it's minus 10, he'll be wearing the same coat. He's got the most amazing collection of pens you've ever seen in your entire life. And he loves doing crosswords. Um, and he's an interesting character. And when he started coming, he was quite hard work. He was pretty disruptive. 
And he's been on this journey towards Jesus over the last couple of years. And earlier this year, he asked Jesus into his life for the first time. Now, I, I would say that to Jesus, um, Malcolm is just, he's treasure, he's beautiful. He's really kind. He goes around, is serving coffee and teas to all the other guys who come along. He serves bacon sandwiches, takes pastries over to them. He points out people who he thinks that need prayer and tells us, oh, can you go and pray for that person over there? So we do. He cleans up the tables, cleans up the floors, um, sweeps the floors. He kind of writes messages as well on little napkins of encouragement to different people. Just, it's amazing. Like I say Jesus sees the treasure in Malcolm. And I think, like I say, most people in society just probably don't see that at all. They wouldn't see that. And now he's almost unrecognizable. Now he's met with Jesus. And as a church, we want to see this incredible city restored and this nation renewed, don't we? But how do we do this? How do we do this? We do it by seeing one life restored at a time. By loving the one, just as Jesus does. Secondly, the call of Jesus was utterly irresistible for Levi. When Levi heard Jesus say the words, follow me, he just had to get up and go. There were no questions asked. No questions asked. No maybe laters. Levi had no idea what the future held for him. In that moment, the world completely lost its grip on Levi. The money, the power had no meaning. The deceit, the lies, they were forgiven. In finding Jesus, he had a new heart, a new mind, and new desires, and he never, never looked back. And the question is this, if you'd been Levi, would you have done the same thing? Just got up and followed Jesus? No questions asked. Is Jesus asking you to leave something behind to follow him today? And Jesus had incredible plans for Levi. I mean, shortly afterwards, Levi, um, he became an apostle, and he only ended up writing the Gospel of Matthew. I mean, that's not a bad turnaround, is it? And the thing is, he's got incredible plans for each one of us here as well, too. And this teaches us that Jesus never, ever writes anybody off, and neither should we. We shouldn't write anyone off. Next, Levi threw a huge party. So I don't know about you, but I absolutely love a good party. Wasn't the pig and jig good last night? I must say, it was great fun. Any party, I love to be at it. And if... I've heard there's been a party and I've missed it. I'm pretty devastated, to be honest. So when uh, we moved down 10 years ago, my wife Anna and I, we moved down. We weren't quite sure what our role was going to be. Um, and James and Jen said, oh, we've got this great role for you. And we're like, what is it? We'd love you to head up the party team. <laughs> and we thought, oh, I really wanted to set up. No, no, no. I was like, <laughs> like, like oh, actually, parties. That's going to be amazing, isn't it? So we had so much fun, this organising parties. We did sausage and ale nights, we had Ciroc nights, comedy nights, charity balls, all kind of things. And I guess the reason was for this, was kind of to organise environments where we could just get people in a room, Christian, non-Christian people, all walks of life, just have amazing conversations. And it's often in that environment where conversations about Jesus would begin. So Levi, he was so excited about what had happened that he threw a party and invited his circle of friends. Now, these people who came to the party wouldn't have been your average people. These were the people that were absolutely hated and, looked and frowned upon by society. They would have been despised, low-lifes, tax collectors, sinners. 
But Levi was only interested in one thing, and that was introducing his friends to Jesus, to call to all his friends one by one. I can imagine him just going round this party, just saying to his friends, oh, come and meet my awesome friend Jesus. You know, he accepted me for who I am. No questions asked, you know. He doesn't hate you. He doesn't despise you either. And he thinks you're awesome. I can imagine him just saying, you know, can you believe it? He even asked me to be his disciple too. Can you believe that? You know. I, can ima- I just imagine his face like beaming, smiling for the first time in a long time. And I bet, yeah, I bet he hadn't laughed for ages. Can you imagine the impact that Levi's story had and the presence of Jesus being there had on his guests? And I guess with Levi, I can only imagine that many of the guests that were there that day, their lives were completely changed, completely restored, impacted by Jesus being there. So fourthly, what speaks of grace? Well, Jesus would not have missed this party for the world. There's no way. So for Jesus to have been at this feast with these kind of people would have been an absolute disgrace. (laughs) It would have been outrageous to those looking in. As a godly person in Jesus' time, you were told that basically simply to stay away from tax collectors and sinners because they might contaminate you. You didn't want their sin to rub off on you. And it says in verse 16 and 17, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous sinners. Jesus would have known the danger to him of hanging out with these kind of people but he knew these were the people who needed him the most. These were the last, the least and the lost. I guess a question for us is are we willing to have our reputation risked to be seen hanging out with these kind of people? The kind of people that Jesus would have been celebrating with. It's a tough, tough question isn't it? Colin is homeless and started coming to Open Door from the very beginning. When Colin came, he won't mind me saying this, but he, he was angry. He was hard to talk to and he was hard work. And as time went on, he's kept coming each week, kept coming each week. And I'd say Jesus just softened his heart every single week. I guess going into Open Door and having the presence of the Holy Spirit there um, really softened his heart. And... I think it was last year it was, Colin gave his life to Jesus and we, we baptised him. We had the privilege of baptising Colin down at Open Door. And that was some baptism that was. And Pete and I were doing it in a birthing pool. And we filled the, the, filled the birthing pool up. And we realised we'd forgot to put any cold water in it. So it was lit, honestly, it was boiling. <laughs> we were like, Colin, do you want us to put some cold in? He goes, no, just get over and done with. Let's go in. So we went in there, into this, into, this, into this birthing pool. I honestly could hardly even stand in it. And we got Colin, we baptised him. And he still jokes to this day that the water had to be that hot, just to kind of wash him all that sin from the, the days of old. Which makes me laugh. But I guess like... <laughs> but, Colin, but Colin's reaction after this, after he came to faith, was to go out on the streets where he was. And he would just share the gospel of Jesus with so many people out on the streets. He'd bring different people along to Open Door each week. Brings, he, still, he comes to church most weeks. He brings people to church along with him. He's just like Levi, going out there, sharing the good news with other people, which is amazing. So, 
I guess the question I've been asking myself is, what should a grace-filled community who love the last and the least look like? What should it practically look like? And this story has really challenged me to think about what the implications of this story are for us as a community. Does a radical um, grace shown by Jesus in this encounter with Levi change the way that we should look as Cardiff Vineyard Central? There's a great quote by Mike Pilavacci, which says this, If the church looks more like an apple store than a soup kitchen, then we've missed the point. So true, isn't it? We've missed the point. So, so my first point then is Vineyard Cardiff Central, we should be a community living under grace. And I'll be honest, personally, I often find it difficult to get my head around the whole grace thing. It's just difficult. To, it's a concept. It's hard to get my head around. I guess only when we understand the grace that Jesus has shown us are we able to fully show it to other people. Living under grace means there's nothing we can do that will make God love us more. And living under grace means there's nothing we can actually do that will make God love us less. For us as a community... Living under grace involves forgiving one another, not judging one another, serving one another, and going out of our way to love one another as well, going out of our way to love our neighbour. Grasping grace, it completely sets us free. And the truth is, we're all sinners, like the guests at Levi's party. Jesus shows us throughout the Bible that he loves sinners, he loved us long before we did anything to deserve it. Then Jesus gave us his life. He died on the cross to pay for our sin. That was the ultimate act of grace. And all we have to do is accept this free gift. There's no catch, no strings attached, no loophole. The question, have you accepted this this morning? Do you accept that he chooses you today? That, you know, like Levi, God's got an incredible plan for your life as well. And I got a sense there might be some people here who have not actually invited Jesus into their life yet. And I would so encourage, encourage you just to, to think about that. And if that's you, maybe come forward for prayer because he, he, he chooses you. He completely chooses you. He loves you. He's got an amazing plan. And it'll be the best thing you ever do. I can guarantee you that. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. All who Jesus loves, we are called to love. All who Jesus embraces, we are called to embrace. And as a community, we need to be willing to love the last, the least, and the lost, whatever the cost. We may never know the impact it will have in somebody's life. We never know. You know, even if we love someone, we don't know what's going to happen down the line. When we started doing Open Door, uh, we used to have a guy called Paul who used to come along. Every single week, without fail, he, he was the most regular, I'd say. He'd come every single week. He was living on the streets um, and staying in a tent at the time. And he'd come every week, and he was, he was just down. Every week he was down. He was, understandably, he had a, um, a wife and children who kind of completely cut him off. He was depressed, and we would just pray for him every single week. He'd, he'd respond to prayer and keep coming back, respond to prayer, keep coming back. And it was just great to be able to sort of, sort of stand alongside him, really. 
But then Paul stopped coming. We're like, where's he gone? And for about a year, no one saw him. We're like, where is he? And a couple of weeks ago, well, I think it's just under two weeks, my um, youngest daughter, Emma, she had her fourth um, birthday party um, down at a, a, um, a unit called Boomerang, um, which is on Ocean Way, near our offices. And we got, we're getting ready for the party, took the kids down there, went to the door to go in, and there's a, quite a smart guy on the door, dressed there, waiting to greet us. I looked at him, I thought, I've seen him before somewhere. Where have I seen him? I was like, Paul, is that you? He's like, ah, oh, it's Mark, how are you? I was like, what's happened? Where have you been, you know? And he said, yeah, basically, he kind of, he'd been on the streets, and he thought, I've just got to get out of this, got to get out of this. And um, he, he, it's an amazing story, really, but he kind of went along to these people, the, the, the sort of charity that he'd been working with, which is Boomerang. They do very similar stuff to Storehouse, giving out furniture and clothes. And they gave him a job. Now he's got a flat, and he's reunited with his uh, wife and children. And we were just like, oh, my goodness, that's why we do it, isn't it? Like, we don't know what the, what's going to happen. We hadn't seen him for a year. But just to, and, he, and he said to us, oh, really appreciate even just the prayers you guys did every week, because I'm sure... That helps, you know. So just a real encouragement for us it was to see someone's life turned around. So secondly, I think Vineyard Cardiff Central should be a messy, grace-filled community. Don't you just love it when church is messy? I do anyway. (laughs) And that's what it should be. Church should be messy. It should be a picture of hospital, kind of welcoming in those kind of wounded um, people, you know, for healing people who are broken. We should, we should look like a soup kitchen rather than the Apple store. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were known as a community that welcomed in and embraced the last, the least, and the lost? We were known for seeking out and inviting in those people that society had forgotten about, the people who were looked down upon, frowned upon, rejected, unlovable. But as Jesus welcomed us in, as with all of his baggage that comes with it, The party at Levi's house is a perfect picture of what the church could and should be. And at its best, the church is basically a bunch of broken people inviting other broken people in to invite, to meet Jesus, the great guest of honour, as in Levi's story. And the thing is, I love it how at the minute we've got in Restore, our Restore Ministries, we've got so many great stories in our midst of people whose lives have been transformed through Storehouse. We're hearing last week from Matt some amazing stories. Grow Baby, Blend, Open Door and others. It's really, really encouraging to see people meeting Jesus in our midst as a community. But I know there's more. There's more. I know it. Grace is messy, unpredictable. Grace risks its reputation to eat with sinners. Grace sacrifices its schedule to help hurting people. Grace doesn't allow us a luxury from being distant from other people. Grace doesn't get so distracted by doing good things, it forgets about others. And I just love this like, text I got from Simon Goff this week. I asked him and he said I could share it. I said, Mark, just chatted to a guy called Nab outside Home Bargains. Gave him info about Open Door, so keep your eye out for him. Prayed with him for safety and a way out of homelessness. Doesn't that, I, I, that just really encouraged me. And that's what it's about. How can we be Jesus' hands and feet in this city? So during his ministry, people were drawn towards Jesus. And as we give off the fragrance of Jesus, 
the last, the least, and the lost should be drawn towards our community. And my last story is Linda's story. Now, Linda's been coming along to our church now for, I think, around about six months. And in February, before she knew anything about Vineyard, she was just on her bike cycling down City Road and went down Tavistock Street and went past the open door. And um, she saw, I think there was a poster outside it which says what's on that week. And she sort of got off her bike, had a look at it, and Colin, of all people, invited her in. She said, come in, can I have a look at what's going on in here? So Linda came in to have a look at what was going on. And at the time, Linda was living in a small flat um, in Roth, and life was extremely challenging. Her daughter had recently left the property, and um, she was really struggling to afford the rent and was being threatened with eviction from her house and was understandably anxious. And Linda writes this. She wrote something down for me to read this week. It says, Emily, a lovely girl who belongs to the Vineyard Church, prayed with me about my situation. I, I was invited by her to the community house on Banger Street for a meal where we reenacted the Last Supper before Jesus' death. On the Thursday of that week, I had a dream of a for sale sign outside the community house, but instead of saying Jeffrey Ross on it, it said the words Jesus instead. Shortly after, I was invited along to church where a man asked if anybody could relate to Jesus, being an estate agent. I was excited and went to the front for prayer. The end result is that I have not been evicted and I'm staying in the house. Miraculously, the landlord has reduced the rent and the council have paid the arrears for me. This has shown me that God is in control. Isn't that amazing? Amazing story from someone in our community. So the last point, I would say a joyful, we should be a joyful community that loves to party. Wouldn't it be great if we were renowned as throwing the best parties around, you know, and people were regularly invited in and introduced to Jesus? And I guess as we welcome people into our midst, our natural default should be to throw great parties and to celebrate. And this, like Alice was saying, this is a great time in our history where, you know, we've, we've gone multi-sites. A lot of people have gone north. There's space here. So what opportunity to throw parties and invite people, welcome them into our community. And so we had the great party last night, the Pig and Jig. We've got Park Play Carol Service coming up. We've got Christmas events um, coming up, carol service as well. And also, I mean, we could think about maybe on your street having a go at inviting people around for, like, Christmas drinks. It's a great way of getting to know your neighbours, getting to know people, and conversations may start about Jesus. So to finish, Cardiff Vineyard, Jesus is calling us to be, number one, a community living under grace. Number two, a messy, grace-filled community, a joyful community that loves to party. God wants to break our hearts for the last, the least, and the lost in society. To see those people as he sees them. To love them just as he does. Jesus came to erase the lines of who's in and who's out. That all are welcome no matter how society may view them. And on a practical level, there's no better way of having our eyes open to the brokenness in this city by getting involved with one of our restore ministries. Or could you go out to a homeless people per person on the streets, maybe sit outside Tesco's, buy them a coffee, spend a little bit of time listening to them, and maybe offer to pray for them as well? Could you invite someone to church one week? Invite someone to one of our parties? Just somehow demonstrate God's love in a practical way. Doing this, then we'll start to see the lost come home. 
In Luke 15, 7, it says, I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Jesus came to show us a model of how to build his church, one lost sheep at a time, and he's calling us to do the same, to see one life restored at a time, to be a grace-filled community that welcomes in the last, the least, and the lost. Should we stand?